This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. Today, I've got former Navy SEAL Eric Davis. Eric, how we doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be on the show. Thank you. Awesome. Well, you're in uh, you're in New York. You're a California guy, but you're in New York right now talking to us, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Out here to uh, get ready to launch a second book. Not launch a second book, actually start the writing of the second book. Out here to meet with publishers and, and some of the media folks to get ready. Awesome. Well, that's good. Yeah, your first book, Raising Men, Lessons Navy SEALs Learn from Their Training and Taught to Their Sons. Man, that's that's pretty awesome. How many kids you have? Four kids, but only one of them's a boy. So everyone else is pretty bitter. <laughs> I told them, I'm like, hey, I got three girls, man. I, I wish we write about this, but they're like, ah, the market's just not there for you yet, buddy. So that's fine. Well, I've got four boys, so I'm your perfect candidate, man. Oh man, yeah. That's if you have time to read, but yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm a reader. I'm a reader for sure. So I'll be picking this book up as soon as we're done. I'll be going to Amazon, I'm sure, and checking it out. So, but man, for those people that don't know who Eric Davis is, why don't you give us a little lay of the land on what's made you the man you are today, Eric, and, you know, kind of climbing the ropes, becoming a Navy SEAL and doing the things you're doing today. And so I'd ask you one of the long version or the medium version of that. That's yeah, let's, we'll do the medium. We'll, we'll do the medium and see where it goes. Okay. Okay. So medium goes like this. So my father was captain of the sheriff's department where I grew up. All I ever wanted to be was just like him. That, that was my whole purpose in life when I was young. About 14, 15, he got sick. He ended up in nursing homes for a couple decades. I was, mm. how I describe it, I was like too young to be without a father, but just old enough to know like, man, I, I still really need one. Like I need leadership. I need guidance. So I thought I did what, what I would think was the only natural thing to do. I joined the SEAL or joined the Navy to become a SEAL. And I thought, boy, that would be where I, you know, learn how to, to grow up and to lead and, and to become a man and all of that stuff. So keeping in the, the, the theme of a medium-sized story, I had a color vision deficiency. So I didn't end up going straight to the SEAL teams. Ended up becoming a medic. I was a Marine Reconnaissance medic. So I went to their special operations for a while. Finally passed the color vision test. So I wasn't colorblind, just color deficient. Don't see red or, or green as well as other people do, but I can see those things. Anyway, finally transitioned into the SEAL teams about my sixth year in the Navy. I spent 10 years in the teams five of which were spent as a sniper instructor, which is an odd amount of time to spend as an instructor. But it was just a time in my life where I just thought, man, I wonder how good I can get at training men, training human beings. So I started studying with Olympic gold medalists. I'd read books at night. I just, I just totally dove in and I got really, really good at it. Became a really, really effective trainer and coach. So they kept asking myself to stay. My, my, myself and my buddy, Brandon Webb, we both stayed there five years. And hmm. We dove in to training. 
next step after that was 2008, I left the military and I went to one of the largest financial firms in California and said, hey, training a sales team is no different than training a SEAL sniper team. And they, they bought it. They're like, yeah, I get that. You know, I, I, I explained to them the fundamentals of performance, right? So fundamentally speaking, training, and when I say training, I mean transferring capacity and skill to another human being which is very different than most training, which is demonstrating a skill or capacity. So another human sure. wanted, right? Very different. So fundamentally it was the same and it worked. So eventually we were able to produce large returns on that and make a huge impact. And then maybe now, gosh, it's gotta be four or five years ago. could be even more. I jumped out of the corporate world, still did some consulting, wrote the book, Raising Men, Lessons to Learn Seal Training and became an author. And then to catch us all the way up to date, two years ago now, I left all consulting and put everything I've ever been taught about masculinity, manhood, or performance, and it, it applies to women as well, right? Because it's all fundamental when I typically speak to men. Put everything I've ever learned about it online on a membership site. And now I spend my days, I spend my mornings studying and writing about performance. And then afternoons during the week where I'm delivering to my members and teaching them how to progress through life in a very effective and efficient manner. That's the wow. That's awesome. That's at ericdavis215.com, right? That's your website. And yep. I've checked that out. So you can go there and you've got like a, almost like a, what I would call a class, right? That you can watch and follow for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a webinar. There it's free. It lists times. Basically, what it's doing is I'm I'm demonstrating three of the three particular strategies that are the most impactful for anybody looking to make that pivot in life. So how I describe what I do is I help people pivot life from a source of distraction and diffusion into one of purpose, passion, and power. And every one of those words has meaning to it. But it's a very pragmatic, meticulous approach to another way you can describe it is to define manhood or, or, or womanhood for yourself, like define who you are and then start designing strategies to serve that. Um, so let's so go a little women, deeper with that. Can we go, can we dig a little deeper on that? And so like, oh. walk me through that exercise, man. What does that look like? How are you serving people with that? How, how are you helping? Yeah. So there's a couple different versions or, or levels of play here that we operate in. So first, like on that webinar and then the subsequent course after that, the primary focus is to what I'd call having someone become an expert at becoming an expert. And there's many things we teach, but at the core, there's this formula and some strategies and structures that go along with it, which goes identify, assess, prioritize, and execute. And what's unique about this formula, and this would be the same performance formula that I could, like I said, take from a sniper team to a sales team, right? We're going to identify the parts of the thing. Now, as I teach it, I teach people how to identify all of the parts of life. So I go real big on the webinar and in my teaching because here's the thing. So when I was training snipers and they were failing at something, there's something in particular they just, they couldn't get through, they couldn't pass. What people do, they lock on on the thing. I need to lose weight. I need to make more money. I need to stop working eight hours a day and bring it down to five so I have time to care for my relationships and my family. Whatever that thing is, and then people lock onto the thing. But typically, a performance break or the inability to perform is usually a sequence of a few other things that are all adding up to stopping you from being able to do this one thing. Does that make sense how I'm saying yeah, that? So, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so real performance, and I know I get almost moral, like a... Uh, 
Yeah, like I make the sound like a moral thing when I dig into performance, right? So many people get burned with training programs and personal development and things like that. So I really like to educate people. But if you're really looking at performance, there's just no way to elevate performance in one area of life without touching all the other areas right. of life. So when we identify, we identify all that impacts somebody's ability to live a good life. And then the formula goes from there. Then you make assessments of its current and future trajectory. And then we prioritize something very particular, very special, I'd say in the formula is we prioritize by power. And what that means, a great example is typically if I'm talking to a family man, he's going to say, oh, my kids are my number one, my priority, my family's my number one priority. And that's, that does, that does not work. There is no, there, there is no situation. Well, hold on, there's a situation. It's not anytime one thing becomes the priority, it's going to break your ability to thrive in all other things. Right. So there are times where, well, maybe dad put his head down and starting to figure out ways to earn more money and cutting the time he works in half. Maybe that's a little bit more of a priority than making every soccer game. Right. So there's always a time and situation where priorities change. So when we prioritize high power, I teach people to stop getting life done in a way that sacrifices their purpose and passion and then start doing it in a way that actually reveals that purpose and exposes that passion and does it in a way that produces more deployable levels of time, money, energy, and creativity than they had when they went into it. So prioritizing by power is what allows people to continuously grow. You see it on podcasts, actually intros. Sometimes the, the, sure. the rap sheet on somebody is so big, you're like, how could anyone have ever done that and still cared for the family and still in good shape and this, that, and the other. And the big change is right there. You need to get things done in a way that produces power, not, not depletes it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it does. It makes me think about this, this thing I've always said is uh, somebody told me this when I was real young is two things. One is show me your checkbook and I'll show you what you value. Right back when we, especially when we used to write checks, you'd write them in the register, right? What you value. And then the second thing is now, even more recently, talking a lot about this is show me your calendar and I can show you what your priorities are. Right. Yes. If you don't put it in your calendar, for me, it's, it's, it, then it's not a priority. Uh, yeah, yes, absolutely. Not. And again, the, the word priority, we got to watch. But if we're prioritizing by power, because another way we can say it too is if we say, show us your checkbook, show us your calendar, right? You can also look at it this way, like, well, now I know where you're investing your time and your currency because your balance of your bank account is not money, that's currency, right? Money is the capacity to care for concerns, very different than just digits, right? Now, if you're saying, show me where you're investing those and then show me the return you're getting on those investments, like that would be in the context of prioritizing by power. Mm. And all that is, it's not about making one thing more important. It's kind of like worrying in order. It's like doing things in a sequence, again, that continuously blows up and gives you that energy or gives you that power to continuously care for things in life. And then it goes on to execute and evolve. And that's where the calendars show up. But, you know, we'll, I'll show them how to produce standard operating practices like we did in SEAL teams, show them how to get those. They flow onto your calendar and then you're right. Your calendar then becomes a reflection of this, this identify, says, prioritize and execute drill. And it comes a, re a reflection of that. And everything on your calendar is life or death. Because people do the work inside of that formula by the time it gets to the calendar, because we can get things on people's calendar, as you know, and then they don't do it. But that's because they didn't prioritize by power at a time and they had something else in the way.
Yeah. And I, when you say prioritize by power, I also think it makes me think of what I talk about all the time is clarity, you know, clarity on your goals, your dreams, your aspirations, where you're going, why you're going there, having lots of meaning behind why you're going there versus just saying, oh, that's a goal. Eh, just because it's a goal, then there's no teeth in it. You're, you're probably not going to hit that goal if there's not a lot of depth and meaning to it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's why I don't use the word goals. I, mm-hmm. I would use them as, I would use the word promises or commitments, and and commitments is commitments is to be cause in something. And again, if if somebody identified all that impacts their ability to live a good life, like what are it's funny. Everybody wants to live a good life. Everybody wants to be happy. But how many people do you know that are walking around with the sixty-seven concerns that have to do with life, the finances, career, and business to create that good life? Most people don't study life this way. Right. Right. So yes. Yeah, absolutely. The identification is key, what you're going to be committed to. So you talk about this in your book, Raising Men, Lessons Navy SEALs Learned from Their Training and Taught to Their Sons. So again, that's the book you can find on Amazon, anywhere else. I'm assuming you can get any books, uh, probably on your website as well. But talk to us about what are some of those lessons, man? What what are we as parents? You know, I've, I've got four boys, like I said. What do I need to be learning to be even a better dad that I try to be each day? Got it. So yeah, I'll kind of loop back, I'll loop a little bit back into what I did the, that formula I was talking about. So there are two particular things I would say, and how I'd say it is like this. So if you know, when some male does something idiotic, violent and idiotic, sometimes the news will contact me to come talk about men and masculinity, right? Yeah. And they'll ask me like, "Well, what's the problem?" And I say, "Well, here's the problem." Um, there's basically one definition of masculinity that's floating around. It has a lot to do with aggression and violence. And there's a couple problems with that. One that's antiquated, that doesn't work anymore. Like the idea of even raising our voice or laying hands on someone or anything like that in this day and age is just ridiculous. It doesn't work and that's not the environment. We're not like cavemen anymore. That's not the environment we live in, which a lot of people don't love hear this. Or they love hearing it come from a seal or they hate it. <laughs> it's one, one, way, yeah, one way or the other. And the other problem is it's a one size fits all. And that's because of marketing. And I get that. I, I market with it as well. I understand it as well. But because of marketing, all men really have is this one antiquated, ultra aggressive, male dominating version of masculinity to follow. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't work because now we're breeding differently. We used to breed just to fight and hunt. And that was great. But because eugenics, we're now different people. We're more creative. Even the SEAL team, excuse me, bless you, special operations, intelligence networks, they all, that all went renaissance. There's a lot of art, science, philosophy inside of all that. So those are the two biggest things. And I would, and I would say that whole process I was talking about, it allows any man, right, to define what masculinity is for him. Right? And that to me is the core of manhood. Like, okay, we'll define, well, what is being a man? What are, again, what are all the parts of living a good life? And then you need to calculate the capacity required to do so. It's not about just willy-nilly following your dreams. You know, you know what I mean? That's another marketing thing as well. Like, well, no, we have to make real money today to pay the bills. We have to make real money today to save for our 60-year-old self when the time comes we can no longer work because that, un- that season of unemployment is coming. You can't just work till you're dead. That's not possible. Right, because we'll get sick, we'll slow down, like we'll suffer and we'll die. So calculating the capacity required to do so, and then identifying the the conventional and unconventional strategies and tactics required to produce that capacity in a way that gives you the space and time 
to care for those parts, which you determined was your obligation or commitment as a man. So yeah. that would be how I would define that. So talk, talk more about that too. So it sounds like it's very much of a plan and, and a, you know, you guys are very, there, there, there's plan B, plan C, plan G, plan A, right? All these different plans. But what about just your instincts too? Like being a parent, right? It's bedtime. It's been a long day and it's like, just go to bed. And to your point, we're not touching, screaming, all that kind of stuff, but you can as a dad. Maybe I'll, I'll be transparent. Maybe I'm the only one on here that's listening that, that does it. But you do get a little frustrated at night sometimes. And sometimes I do yell at the kids. It's like, just go to bed. You know, like, how do you slow down enough and be in the moment? And when you do it, you know you're wrong. But how do you do that and, and then kind of stay in that moment and not go to that anger part? Yeah, well, well, first, it's not necessarily being wrong. There's effective or ineffective. So if we can't kind of take the morality of it, if we do yell at our kids or do something, we'd be like, well, what's that effective or ineffective? And the only way we can know that is if we have intentions. Yeah. So first, we'd have to have what our intentions are as a parent. And then we have to recognize, like if I use a martial arts example like jiu-jitsu, if, I, if my intention is to take an attacker and subdue him or her peacefully without injuring them or myself, Right. I'm going to, if that's my intention, well, my instincts or my intuition is not going to make that happen. I my you know what I mean? If you've ever, if you ever watched anyone learn to fight or train in martial arts, when you first get there and someone throws a punch, it's your instincts and intuition are not designed to care for those intentions. So it takes training. So then if I go back to that formula, identify, assess, prioritize and execute. Well, when we identify, we set our intentions. And then when we execute and evolve, those are the standard operating practices that are we continuously tweaking until they produce the intentions. Does that make sense? So it's, when people say trust their gut or anything like that, what they're trusting is all of the marketplace noise, all of the conversations around them, all of the media, all of the news. Because if when people think their gut or their intuition is their own, that's when things get really scary and dangerous, right? Yeah. So you can't trust your gut or your intuition unless you've intentionally set intentions for it and you've trained as such to where your intuition now Matt now has you be in the actions that produce your intentions. Yeah. And, but again, I think you still go back to the, that sounds awesome. I a hundred percent agree with you, but I, so I'm trying to play devil's advocate on here. Right. And so sure. when, when we do that though, what about in that moment, right in the heat of the battle, whether you're at war, whether you're at work or whether you're trying to put a, you know, whoever, whatever age your kids are to bed, how do you stay in that moment though and not get so pissed off if things aren't going as, as you want them to go? Yeah. So first is to recognize where that anger or frustration is coming from. And that's, that's probably what we're talking about is anger, right? Yeah. And what's happening is we're experiencing trauma, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, how this works is you have trauma, right? But you have trauma with pain, right? Okay. I have pain. Something, something's, um, something's hurting me right now and you don't have a way to do anything about it. That's why SEALs don't typically suffer from PTSD too much because we think we can do anything, which is sometimes arrogant, <laughs> right? So first is to recognize that. And so what's happening is something painful is happening, right? And you can't control it. So that's what men do is they raise their voice, they get angry. That's everybody gets angry, but that's when men get, they use aggression to just stomp something, which could be very damaging to our kids. Having the thought, you know, it doesn't take, you don't know those moments where they you just scared them or something happened. So recognizing where that anger comes from. And then 
but here's the thing. How do we get rid of the pain? How do we get rid of the trauma from not being able to do anything about it? Well, that's a debrief uh, process. So when I say execute and evolve. It's a what process? A debrief process. A debrief process. Yeah. And SEALs are notoriously vicious. So when I'm working with executives or training people, obviously because they're paying me, they grant me the authority to speak into their performance, right? So I'm going to say exactly what I've seen. But in that situation, what happens if you have a mechanism like, okay, I've got a plan for tonight. Think about this. So we're fathers. We're supposed to bring up confident, courageous sons and daughters. And we're getting short-tempered with them at night and teaching them, especially our daughters, right? Teaching our daughters that if a man raises his voice, they must they must subdue, like be subdued and do what they're told. Same thing with our sons. This this can break some confidence like nobody's business. So think about that as a father. We have a plan for just about everything we do, but like, why don't we have a little plan for bedtime routine? Like stick, this is what we would do in this formula. You stick it in your calendar. Like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. And and you're like, and guess what? It's probably not going to work the first time. So let me go try it out. And then tomorrow I'm going to stop, start, modify, manage, or maintain. So tomorrow I'm going to make some sort of a change. And the beauty of this process is I've used the same process to train legends like Chris Kyle, Marcus Luttrell. Like the beauty of this process, it'll elevate performance as high as, you're, as high as you as a human being can take it. And that gets rid of a lot of the pain and anger. We're like, okay, didn't work tonight. I'll see you again tomorrow, you little son of a gun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right, right. Maybe yeah. you're right. You're spot on on that though, dude. It's like that hit home right there is just like, I mean, I've got plans for everything. Look at my calendar when you do this, when you do that. But to your point, how many of us have an actual plan and a routine for bedtime. And we get the routine. We kind of know we've got it down. We've done this a long time now, but that's an aha moment. I think right there is what is the plan that we have for bedtime for all those parents out there? Yeah, absolutely. Good, good. And I would take the word routine out and call it a habit. If it's just something you're doing. And if it's something you designed with intention, then it can become a practice or a tactic. Same word, right? So okay. yep. yeah, too many yep. people, their routines are really just habits that they fell into. And it's all about language, right? Now, what if you had a, what if you had a strategy or a set of tactics at bedtime and they were written down? Like, and you cared enough about your kids just to write them down. <laughs> yeah. like, no, you're right. Come on, man. That's but I but I get it. That's why I love what I do. Most people just never think about life that way. And they want to live a good, happy life. And they they take the cultural definition of success, which really is just pinned to money, but that's one tiny piece of it. Same idea. Figure this yeah. stuff out. Well, it's funny when you're saying that, it makes me think our practice, our habits, when when I do, you know, my especially my seven-year-old, we we meditate a lot at night before bed. I read a lot with the the younger two, especially the older two are getting, you know, they're getting older, they're doing their homework, they're doing whatever they got to do. But I do find that those routines, not to use that word again, but those practices are way better when I am following a plan. We're gonna meditate for five minutes, we're gonna do this for 10, we're gonna read a couple pages of a book. And then it's say our prayers and go to bed, right? Pretty darn good plan. But yeah. it's the time when you try to shortcut that process and hurry it up because you're tired, i.e. me or the other parent, right? Uh, in, in anybody else's situation, when we shortcut that process, I think that's when it goes south for us. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking about, you know, working with a sniper who has a failure point, right? And I'm like, hey, it's usually not there that the problem is. So think about this, what percentage of the population, how many moms and dads are just bringing their drag, tired, sorry, butt to the game, to the playing field every night with their kids. So yeah, a lot of people abandon the plan is because they're not taking care of themselves. People are working way too many hours. It it is insane. 
and they're not sleeping. People don't sleep. People don't hydrate. They don't diet. So yep. there is no plan that's going to outpace this sorry, tired parent. Like, <laughs> so that, that might be part of the plan too. Like, well, what do I need to do to show up yep. so that I can hold strategy so I don't show my children like, hey, we'll just abandon strategy if we don't feel like it. Yeah, that's a great point, man. Gosh, that's a great lesson. So I think I saw, are you wearing a whoop bracelet? Did I see that? Yes, yes, I am. Oh, nice. Uh, I got yeah. one on as well. So, yeah. so what have you learned through that? I mean, people are probably tired of hearing me talk about whoop on here, but what have you learned from your whoop bracelet that uh, maybe has helped change your patterns or, or your life? Yeah, so there are, on that webinar, when I'm, when I'm teaching that formula, the, the example I always use is performance health, right? Because again, most people are not most, especially men, they're like bringing half themselves to the, the playing field. They're just yeah. kind of so saggy and limp, right? I've never been into fitness bands necessarily, but my VP of marketing and sales got one and told me about it. And I was like, Oh, you know, she was like, you got to do this. I'm like, all right, let me check this thing out. And here's the two things I love. So let me start with sleep. So obviously seals can stay up. Right. And, and that's another antiquated man or professionalism i'll sleep when i die everyone like celebrate this idea that they can go without sleep it's like that's like slave labor i mean that's like what a donkey i don't like how where that came from right like that's ridiculous we live in the most competitive dynamic technologically driven marketplace that this planet has ever seen like we are not compensated by our ability to like labor all day it's from creativity and strategy and thinking and to do that we need our brain so we need sleep and so that was the biggest thing about the loop band. It tells me. So it turns out it takes me nine hours and 15 minutes to sleep eight hours. And when I sleep eight hours, I have 100% sleep. And when I have 100, I'm not smart enough to be a writer. I'm just not that guy. So for me, I can really tell if I haven't slept. So I really notice my cognitive performance based off my sleep. But the other thing the loop band does is it gives you, as you know, it'll tell you like, well, here's how much your recovery and here's how much, it's like a graph, right? And here's how much you, can, you should work out to, like, to get optimal you get your optimal workout. And what I found is if, if I don't hit that, what they call it? Strain. Strength. Yeah. The strain. Yep. The strain, I don't sleep well at night. So if I hit that strain, so my workouts, the intention is so that I'll sleep well. And then of course that gives me the body and everything anyone wants about working out. If, if you do it to sleep well, that, that works out really well. So if, if you think about again, going back to masculinity and what, you know, we're different breeds, well, I would have been labeled ADD when I was a kid because I had so much energy. But, but it's so weird. That's only when adults are running the show are they going to try to cap your energy and stick in a box all day, right? But it just turns out I was bred differently. There ain't nothing wrong, by the way, everybody. There's nothing wrong with having a lot more energy than most people because when you get into your 40s, everybody around you is going to be buying everything they can to try to get this energy back. Yeah. Right? So for me, I got to burn up that energy. Otherwise, I'm going to, trying to go to bed with my battery my tanks full. So that's, I love those two things about, and yeah, there's all kinds of other stuff too. Yeah, there, there's tons of stuff, but you're right, man. That was one of the biggest things I learned is just because let's say somebody goes to bed at 10 and gets up at six, they wake up the next morning like, oh, I had eight hours of sleep. Nah, not true. I mean, the amount of disturbances we have throughout a night for our sleep. And so uh, for those of you that, you know, just a book idea, Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson. I mean, what we learn about sleep and how it does for our body, but for our minds and, and the way our moods are, I mean, and depression, anxiety, I mean, all the things that people struggle with in this great country, sleep is one of the biggest things, right? We have sleep, we can have some water, we can have some movement, like exercise. I mean, those are the things, it's just the basic stuff. And then that's what I learned more and more wearing this thing is 
the more I do the things that we already know that we need to do. But when it's trackable, it's data, it's, it's, it's data driven, right? It just shows me right every single morning how I can do that. And I think it's, I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So what, what, how do you recommend people to be in the moment more, right? So there's so many things, whether it's our phones, something you want to watch on TV, there's unlimited television through Netflix and Amazon and Apple TV, all these things. How do we stay in the moment and enjoy that moment more? So I'll sound like a little bit of a record, broken record here. It's, it's by design. So again, if uh, just I'm going to use that formula again. If you identify all that really impacts your ability to live a good life, and then you go through the drill and you're like, okay, it's all the way down onto my calendar now. Like I now have a set of strategies and practices that should I execute will produce a good life. And by the way, if I don't, I will suffer and die. So I'm not talking about airy-fairy stuff. I'm not talking about extraordinary anything. I'm just talking about life itself, right? And then being in the moment is part of that. I call, so one of the things I teach on that webinar is our flow states. And there's like, I, there's like physical flow states, right? And then I'll refer to something called strategic flow. And if you think about it, if your day is designed correctly, and again, you don't design it once and just hope it works. You have to kind of modify this. It takes a little time to do so. But if your day is designed correctly, you're always in the moment because anything that shows up, there's a quote unquote bucket out in the future, in the near future that allows you to care for it. And when you're operating with this kind of set of structures and strategies, you're always capturing things like that. Oh, breakdown. It distracted me. Now I got to go deal with it. Like, great. The debrief process happens. And then you go and figure out a set of practices to care for that thing. Yeah. Let's continue with this along that stage as you've worked with some of the best, you, you name dropped some of them earlier, which they're phenomenal people. And you've helped so many people in the SEALs. And, and one, we just are very thankful and respect your service to our great country. So thank you for that. But when you're working with those people, what have you learned that the best have done differently than the rest of us? They do the work. So I have, there's like three size groups that I work with right now. There's like a large group. Uh, a small, medium group and then a very small group of executives so that I've got one-on-one -on -one time with people and I stay relevant inside of coaching and training. And they, if they find, so I, I do accept the, the, the reason people come into like training programs and, and things like I do, then they don't do the work is and like, I get it because we've been conditioned that even if we do the work, it doesn't really matter. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is all, I'm not saying I'm the only entity that does this, but I'm a entity that does it this way. But this is all first and foremost about making sure that you are engaged, right? And something proven history, like somebody has proven their ability to produce performance in another human being. And the reason I'm starting with that is because you got to be able to trust the process you're in, right? So when you say how these people do it is like, well, eventually they trust their instructor, right? So that's, key you have to have a trusted instructor a trusted coach and then you just meticulously peacefully and powerfully make progress every single day and that's all they do like uh, my assignments have little check boxes for them they <laughs> slap in their documents yeah. and they just work through those things step by step and they allow the process to do its work yeah. I, one of the things I read years ago, my favorite thing, the common denominator of success. If you just type that into Google, it's phenomenal. But it talks about successful people do the things that unsuccessful people aren't willing to do. Right. And didn't say that they want to do it. It's just the fact that they they do it. Right. There's plenty of things that you've done in your life. I'm assuming, Eric, that you didn't want to do them, 
you didn't want to do all the crap you had to do in Bud's training, did you? But you did it, right? Yeah, there's definitely times I'm going to speak into that if I can. So there are, here's the thing. So this is the performance performance formula right here. So we over index. So yes, to what you're saying, I'm going to add something to it. Hopefully in a very, <laughs> I want to blend in with that. Especially men, we think it's about mental toughness and discipline. I get that all the time because I'm a SEAL. Hey, teach me how to work out. Teach me mental toughness. Teach me discipline. And if success, now it depends on our, our definition of success. So for me, success is a matter of fulfilled intentions. Now, if somebody intended to spend a lifetime doing a whole bunch of things they didn't want to do, that would be successful, right? But I don't want to do that. I don't want to wake up and have to do a whole bunch of things I don't want to do for a couple of reasons. One, discipline is like a muscle. You, by the end of the day, you do it all. If we don't sleep or we're tired, like we lose our diet discipline, our workout discipline, our be patient and work through the strategy, our bedtime routine discipline, whatever it is, it all goes out the window. So everybody over index on this thing called discipline. And now discipline is necessary. It's just not as big of a deal as people think. And it's not the only thing. And how I describe it, like I describe it like this, if someone's shooting, if you're standing up and you're shooting at a distant target, and you're holding your gun up right? Discipline is your muscle to hold that gun up. Now, if I kept you there and said, hey, you need to stay on target. If you come off target, you're going to have problems. You're not going to fulfill an intention. You're not going to fulfill an objective. What would eventually happen to you if you're holding this gun? You'd get tired and lose the target, probably. Yeah, you get tired and lose the target, right? So when it comes to discipline, a way I like to teach it is discipline helps us start new things that we maybe not want to do and at the beginning but we have to backfill that with desire. So I trained my own Belgian Malinois, an attack dog. Got it from Mike Ritland, uh, team dog. I don't ever heard of him. Oh, no. um, yeah, right out of his pipeline. He was, you know, we went to Bud's together, really cool guy. And so I learned behavior science. And the old school way of dog training was choke chains and yanking them and smacking them. And you were going to force a dog to do what you wanted the dog to do. But that's not the most effective way. I, I don't even want to say the new way. I'm, I'm going to say the, more, the effective way is to change what the dog desires to do. So my day, I'm about 90. I do this work with, I do this calculation with people sometimes, like how, how much of your day is exactly your fire, your passion, what you want to do. And people are pretty low typically. And I would honestly say my day's got to be like averages 95%. Most of the time it's like 99% to even 100. But there's times in the year where I'm like, oh crap, something's off. Something needs to be changed and I got to go do this thing. So... Can I interrupt real quick on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't you agree though that that's that way because of your experience though? Like when you were starting out, what I mean by that is because I, I agree with that. Like my calendar now, my goal is to look at my calendar and be excited for you know 90, 95% of the stuff that's on there, right? That's how I've tried to create my life now. But mm -hmm. when I was you know, 15, 20 years ago trying to build my business and trying to build a financial planning firm and do all these things, I, I, I still had to do the things I didn't want to do. I didn't have the luxury then that I have now, right? Would that? Would you agree with that? I, I would say it's not a luxury though. That that's that would be. And, and hey, for everybody, this is not the hey we get to do what we want to do game for sure. So I am with you that right. that that is not what I'm. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you by design. Now you're you might not have been intentional from the get go, and that's why it takes 10, 15 years, right? So we can do it a lot quicker. But, but when I went in the financial planning world, that's everybody had this story like, oh, it took me 10 years before I had this life and was successful. And I'm like, great, people don't have 10 years. So let me study what you do and figure out how to do this in 10 months. Right. So it's the same idea there. So you, 
that. Anyone who's successful, everything I'm talking about is fundamental, right? So if you're successful, living a good life, fundamentally speaking, you would have had to do all of these things. I'm just labeling them and teaching them pragmatically. So yeah, it's, but if you do it by design, it will go much quicker. So then, and it's also easier to do things you don't want to do. So a lot of people are like, oh man, I hate working out, whatever it is. Like, great. Yeah, I got it. So we need to, first and foremost, the first thing we need to do is make sure that you want to come back and work out tomorrow. And if I tell them that's the goal, then this thing they hate doing, is not that bad. Like, hey, think about this like a set of uncomfortable braces. All of these structures and systems, by the way, this identify, assess, prioritize, execute, you know, roles, responsibilities, standard operating practices, the calendar. I describe these as braces to people. Like what we're doing is we're converting your intuition so that you go from waking up and having to do a whole bunch of things you don't want to do. And what we're doing is we're converting that to waking up and feeling like doing what you ought to do to care for all of the things that you said matter to you to live a good life. Yeah. That's what we're doing here and doing it quickly. Yeah. So what, what advice would you give Eric Davis of 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago, if you could go back, look that dude in the eye and say, Eric, listen up, buddy. <laughs> what, what advice are you going to give yourself? I would, that, yeah, that's the thing. I didn't kind of develop this formula until after, you know what I mean? It's looking back and like, Hey, what? Right. it's like that. I'm a, I was a point man in teams. Right. So that's, that was my job was to go out and go the, the wrong way. And, and then right. just come and show like, oh, here's the way I finally found it. So it would be that process. I, I kid you not. I'm not saying that. I live this process. I have a successful business because of this process. I, I wake up on fire to do what I want to do. I, I discovered my passion because of this process. It's because it's just so there. And that's what I would have told myself to do. Like pragmatically identify this stuff, Eric. Make assessments, prioritize my power, and then meticulously execute, but do it in a way that continuously has you growing and has you enjoying what you do. Yeah. That's it. So you'd be your first client. <laughs> I am. I, yeah. And I am. All stuff, You're living it. Yeah. All, I'm not one of those guys. that's like, Oh, Hey, look at this life. Hey, look at me. You know, most of the BS like out yeah. there, I'm that guy. Like, Hey, I got hurt hard. I started, I pivoted full career pivots with two houses in South Orange County, four kids. And I've done that about four yeah. times now. And I'm like, Hey, don't do it. Like I did do it like I would have done having known what I know now and, yeah. and uh, learn, learn from the experience. What do you wish you had more time to do right now? What are, what are some of your passions that you wish you had more time to spend on? Are you doing them? I'm doing them. That's what I do every day. Oh, my yeah. calendar, my calendar is, so I identify my purpose, right? Which is to live a good life and lead others to do the same. And I can go deeper into that, but I identified my purpose. And then my right. calendar represents. How long did it take you to find your purpose? I got to think about that. Like my current, my ultimate purpose, that would have taken, let's see, I got out, that would have taken, uh, I got out 90, 18, I would say 18 years. It wasn't until about 2008 when I left and yeah. I started to train. The only thing I'd say that is I was always in an interim purpose. And that's something people don't always quite get. So you could be fully in your purpose and your passion. Well, hold on. So I was in my purpose and my passion when I was a SEAL. But then what happens? You get 30 years old, you, wreck, you do the math, like that's not enough money, that like this won't work, right? And then you move over to another purpose or you know, your purpose yeah. elevates. So then you, you have to find the idea of purpose is like, okay, what's a good life and how, how do I make this thing happen? And then what we do is we tap into our passions. Right, because it's a competitive world we live in, and we tap into our passions and use our passion to fulfill our purpose. Yeah. So I would say, actually, I found my purpose at 16, and then I've elevated it four or five times since. Yeah, and I think to have the point, what you said is, I think you said what to live a great life and to help others or to lead others to do the same thing, right? And so mine is to help people achieve a future greater than their past. 
not that the past is bad, but let's continually get better in what we're doing and have a great future. And it, it took me a while to figure that out as well. I think I was living in that purpose, doing what I've done for 20 plus years now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think to be able to articulate it in a way of helping you achieve a future greater than your past, I think that does come with some time. And it sounds like for you that you knew it, but now to be able to articulate that and state that is a really big deal for you. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And it, it, yeah, I, you said it well, it evolved. So like it, it, it's going to evolve and that's okay. Like great. Cause yeah. who knows what's next? I mean, I'll be, right. yeah. I, being a writer and author and running this thing is everything to me, but maybe in 10 years I'll just be speaking. I don't, you know, something could evolve. Yeah. 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 So we'll send people to ericdavis215.com. That'll be down in the show notes. If you listen to this on Apple or anywhere else, you get your podcast, check it out at that website, go through the webinar and uh, find some great stuff here with Eric Davis. But then Eric, last couple of questions is I steal your cell phone from you, man. Is there anything on there besides like your email and calendar? Because that's, you need those things for work. Probably anything you'd be like, really like anxious that you don't want me to delete any apps, anything that you using to, to help your life? Oh, are you talking about apps and specific specifically? Yeah, like on your phone. Is there you know is there anything that you're like, oh crap, Brett? Please don't delete that one, man. I need it. Ah, oh, interesting. So my first response is the only thing I would care if got deleted. Oh, did I lose you? Um, did we freeze? No, nope, I'm here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, I was doing the freeze frame. <laughs> oh, that was good. Well done. So my first response is uh, any text messages from my kids. If, if, you're, if you're just saying, what don't I lose? Um, I don't always reply to text messages, even to my own kids. So, but I do usually a couple times a week stop and look to see if I miss them. And I just wouldn't want them to think I went dark. I wouldn't want them to think I ghosted them. <laughs> right. But as far as an app goes, I don't, boy, I don't use my, my I mean, my map app, obviously, but I mean, as far as any other app goes, nothing. Okay. I don't, I don't use my phone much because, and here's why, because if I'm in the moment, to deal with that's called plan, coordinate, cooperate. Typically, I'm communicating with other human beings. So if I'm in the moment, I'm probably going to do that on a laptop with a couple screens next to me, so I can do it effectively and efficiently and follow my standard operating practices to make sure they fulfill my intentions. So I use my phone for very little. I am trying to get better at working with you know on my social media with my because my customers and my, and my clients are on there as well. So I'm, I'm trying to kind of redo the intentions of that so that I'm serving more and more on that. But that's, that's it. Yeah. Good, 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 good. And, and then if, you, if I gave you 10 million bucks and I said, you got to invest this in the future, get invest this in something, where are you going to take 10 million bucks and what are you going to do with it? I'm going to, I would immediately find a foundation of some sorts that is going to be able to be responsible and effective with it and impact human beings. Um, I wouldn't want to be given any currency because then I'd lose the opportunity to learn all the things I need to learn to teach others. So it's mm. crazy. And I'm scared to death I'm going to win the lottery because I always say if I win the lottery, I'd give that money away because it's just like you can't inherit like money. Again, money is the capacity to care for concerns, right? You can only get currency, but then that's like lifting someone up and over an obstacle course. They, they don't get tough. They don't get the skills. They don't have those lessons learned. So kind that's of a, great. That's yeah. a good answer, man. I've never had that answer before. And that's a good one. I like that. You can give it away because you're not going to get your experiences uh, by having all that money and, and not doing something. Yeah, what, would I teach? what would I teach my members? I would be, I wouldn't be able to teach them because without money again, which is the capacity to care for concerns. I'm not talking about like Lamborghinis and uh, I'm like, well, you need to know how to make it. 
And if you don't learn how to make it and someone just tries to give it to you, you're not going to know how to care for it. That's why lottery winners end up broke. Yep. Yep. Must have been great, Eric. Again, ericdavis215.com. We will send them to your website. And that's kind of the uh, the click through. They can find everything else, books, social media, and everything else on there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, man. What's been great having you on the circuit of success and uh, really enjoyed our time together today. Absolutely. Yeah. Me as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Great time. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.